Greetings, Bat fans, and welcome to episode 11 of the I Am The Night podcast, where a friend and I break down weekly every single episode of Batman the Animated Series. And this week, because of the double uh, chapter last week, we're on to episode 12 of the show, which is called It's Never Too Late, written by Tom Ruger and Garin Wolf, and directed by Boyd Kirkland. A very sweet, very different kind of story. Here with me to talk about it, as always, is Adam. Good evening, sir. Hello, pleasure to be back, talking about a very unique episode. There's never been a single driven story, there's never been an arc or a formula this show has followed, has it? Everything's been special, and this is one of the more offbeat stories we've been Mm. getting the entire series, and I love it for that. It's a redemption story. It's a very strong redemption story that I'd never expect from this kind of show. And a a very special redemption story indeed, because... It's the kind that did throw a little surprise. I've got very, very little recollection of this actual story from first time around. I have definitely have seen it before because I recognise uh, the two main characters, uh, apart from Thorn and Batman, of course, the, in in Stromwell and the Priest. But um, it's a nice, like you said, out of left field, offbeat little tale about family and, as the title says, it's never too late. It's never too late for a hardened criminal uh, drug boss and known gangster of Gotham to turn over a new leaf. And he was given plenty of opportunities across the episode and we see his struggle and we see a real morality play told in 20 minutes of quote-unquote children's TV. That's not something we'd ever expect and we never expect... I don't think it would be done anymore that we would talk about the themes of drug abuse and uh, organised crime in such detail. I don't think we'd talk about domestic almost terror in such a way, so much so that it captures the media as was the thing in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, You're never going to get animated TV quite like this again. And that's what makes this show stand out so well, especially off-beaten sad there is one of the more easy to misplace and harder to remember episodes because this is one of the ones that sets the tone of the show as something special it's not just Batman against supervillains it's about the struggle within one man and again Batman's in enough of it for him to still be a focus but he's not the main character here and do you not find as well that again this is a side of Batman who isn't out to just kick you in the face and beat you up. He's actually, from the start, from the first moments when he appears in costume, on this road to try and redeem Stromwell. Is it the fact that he's just seen that Thorn is the worst of the two evils? Is it the fact that he knows, because of his family ties and his history, that Stromwell is a likely person to Or is it just that goodness in Batman to think that Maybe I've lost Harvey. Maybe I've lost people in the past, but I want to get one thing right. I want to get one bad guy back on the on the good side. I mean, it's so many ways to look at it. The whole point of um, of imprisoning and punishing criminals is that so that they can be redeemed and reintroduced back into society. We've not really ever seen Batman try that attitude mm. in big TV, but we saw it in the big two-parter of the previous episodes. We saw his determination to try and 
bring Harvey back to save his friend. So this attitude seems to have carried over, and it's good for Batman. It's something that's not something you'd expect from the vision of terror in the night. He's there as a redeemer, as someone to make light your soul because you've maybe strayed away from the dark path. Yeah, it's like you said, it's it's something that we've never seen on screen with Batman before, but it's it's something that is part of his DNA and his makeup as a character from the comics. There's been many a tale where he's tried to get someone on the on the straight and narrow with varying degrees of success, but he never gives up. And that's Batman's mantra in everything he does. He never gives up the fight and he never gives up trying to uh maybe bring people to the light. And like you said, it's um quite deep for a 20 minute show and not just quite deep um, do you not think that every episode like you said they all tell their own individual story there's no ongoing arc or parallel plot lines and complicated things that tie this whole narrative of this uh, 60 plus first season episode together it's all single standalone stories but brilliantly paced with a solid beginning solid middle solid end they all tell their own individual stories incredibly well for a 20 minute show it's if you can pace and structure a story well enough you can tell just about anything and it feels so organic that we get this beginning where the rivalry between these two mm. gang lords is told over a newscast where we can follow along and uh, be told the information in a way that doesn't feel like we're being forced onto it then we see the vulnerability of one of the two big presences in Gotham's underworld and we see that he's quite vulnerable then we get into the struggle where we want to see him understand and we want to understand why Batman's making this kind of effort and then we see why and we follow his own struggle as we go back to when he was vulnerable when he was a little boy and it feels so much bigger but yeah a, a decent screenwriter would be able to take this, put in a lot more fluff, add in some extra characters, put on another hour to it, and it would be a decent uh, 1920s, 1930s gang movie. Mm-hmm. And to be able to strip down a story like this with Batman as the God, focus yeah. to help drive things along and keep certain members of the audience invested, you can tell almost any story if you pace it properly. And that's what I think is the secret of the storytelling success of the show long run is. Yeah, I mean, as a writer yourself, as as both of us are writers, um, you know me very well. One of my least favourite things is too much exposition. I want the story to tell itself. But like I said, the use of the uh, newscast and, and, and the police is just a brilliant use of exposition to help tell the story so it doesn't feel like exposition. They're, they're telling the story of the rivalry, they're telling the story of um, of Stromwell's past with his with his kid brother on the tracks uh, in the terms of, in the use of beautiful flashback scene where again they use that lovely sepia effect where it makes it feel old and the way the two boys are dressed it could be part of the new Newsboy Legion or, or part of any couple of street kids from the, the 40s in, in New York. It's just so brilliantly done. And kudos again to Boyd Kirkland. Fantastic piece of direction. We truly get to see the pacing of one, of a story of one man in his own mind, but we never feel it forced. We never feel that we have to see exactly what he's thinking at all times. We just see him determined to find his son and to determined to 
clear his clear his name and clear his conscience of everything that's gone wrong into him realizing that maybe there's nothing so bad about uh, accepting that it's not too late. It's very well managed for the time that it has, and it does so so well because even though it's quote unquote kids media, it doesn't compromise with how heavy it really could be because when we think to the second lot of flashbacks we don't know if the little boy in the in the past actually did get hit by the train and we don't shy away from the side effects of drug abuse including his own son which mm. is what really led to his own redemption we get an honest story here no big grandiose supervillains it's an honest home route story that really redeems a lot of people we have a lot of hope if Someone could really make something good of their lives after such bad circumstances anyone can. Absolutely. And that whole lovely touch where, again, it didn't feel forced or twee in any way the fact that the priest Batman goes to see at the beginning of the episode to come and help Stormwell isn't just there as a spiritual figure that it turns out to be the little brother who we thought was killed on those train tracks at the end. And... It just works, because sometimes this thing like you think, oh, groan, it's the brother. Not here, it's handled that well. It's because we don't really realise it's, they are, the A, the priest in the, and that little boy stuck in the tracks are the same two until the very last moment, yeah. and it's never confirmed that he's the brother until the very last moment. Mm. So we get the whole rush of all of those emotions coupled with the whole moral opposite spectrum sort of thing of the mobster and the priest we see all of those images sort of like put onto a straight away so that we feel a huge rush of emotions right at the end at the same time Stromwell does so we can really see that his change of alignment is natural. Yeah, it's natural. Exactly. It feels organic. It doesn't feel pushed or, yeah. or forced in any way possible. And do you not find once again that, like you said, Batman is more of a catalyst than the main driver of this story. He's like the 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 linchpin that brings everything together but again we see some vintage Batman the old passed out wino at the beginning in the restaurant and and I think you spotted it before even I did that, that it was him in disguise again and that lovely little bag of tricks and his disguises as he's pushed out of the restaurant but he's left the recording device behind so he can keep track of the gangsters but and that aspect of Batman again which is brand new to this episode Everyone knows that he's the ultimate fighter. Everyone knows he's the figure of fear in the night. He's the world's greatest detective. But I was blown away in this episode by Batman as the paragon of physical perfection. The cardio, the training, the fact he's running around Gotham's rooftops, jumping off flagpoles, doing balancing acts, carrying Stromwell a grown man who's 250 pounds if he's an ounce on his back without breaking a sweat. And a lot's been said about Batman's physical conditioning over the years, the gauntlets he's run and the battles he's fought. But just seeing that was an eye-opener for me. How did you feel about it? What was the story in the original comics where he was experimenting with the technology to transpose his personality into another body when he was injured, fighting Bane? Blind just No, no, it was before. It was long before that. It was Blind Justice. Brilliant. I've forgotten all about that. Yes, there's a story um, in, I think it's Detective Comics 
600, so 400 issues ago. Um, again, around about 1989, written by Sam Hamm, who uh, wrote the screenplay to Tim Burton's original Batman 89, where Batman is laid up badly injured and he makes friends with an Olympic athlete. And he literally, it's like, um, I guess the way you think the best way to describe it is like uh, motion capture, where his movements affect the guy who basically takes over as Batman in his stead. And this is a gold medalist, an Olympic it always athlete. always stuck in yeah. my head how yeah. he said, oh, can't be doing this much longer, he's already getting tired. Yeah. What, and this guy thinks he's in shape. <laughs> but what most people would assume is physical athletic perfection is just simply not good enough yeah. here to the Batman. So in terms of like raw endurance, which I think is far more important than mm. strength, he has that far greater than any other natural human. Obviously some sort of obviously some some amount of genetics might be in his favour. Mm. I don't think anyone would be able to handle handle it. I think there would be some sort of genetic side of it involved. So he was obviously very of a good good lineage to quote Sherlock Holmes when he met Batman one time I'd say his endurance is strong enough that makes him the, a competent athlete for any sport or any physical challenge in the world and that yes. really shows here uh, well, what did you think of it seeing it seeing the way he ran around those rooftops with straw on his shoulders it seemed effortless to him he probably does that sort of training where he puts that much weight or heavier on him and expects himself to be able to do those kinds of acrobatics so having a, the dead weight of an unconscious man was pretty normal to him amazing and then totally again how this animated Saturday morning show can show more sides of Batman in a 20-minute episode or in 11 episodes, uh, 12 episodes we've seen thus far than decades' worth of movies and, and live-action TV shows have ever managed to before it. They've been able to take all the different aspects and angles of the character but still keep him sincere but still explore something new. It's an impossible balancing act, much like him with dead weight on his back it's not really something I think has been done well since no. honestly and do you not find yourself surprised constantly still episode by episode yeah and that's one of the many many things that keeps drawing me back I'm sure is what kept drawing viewers back back then it's so consistent yet still so unique story to story it's the ultimate show for any Batman fan isn't it really mm -hmm. it, because like we've said a, a thousand times it draws on every side of the character and again like I said Batman's more of like um, a side viewer of this episode the main characters are obviously Stromwell and again Rupert Thorne and I don't know if you feel the same that sometimes the old world gangsters like Stromwell you sense that there's honour amongst thieves there they're, they're much more honourable um, crooks if there's such a thing and you kind of feel for their loss in a way because of this new breed of more cutthroat, vicious and downright evil people like Thorn, who is like a precursor to the supervillains that then take over from organised crime completely. The whole Honour Amongst Thieves thing is definitely how they run, how they operate, or at least Stromwell's generation yeah. was. They were also the likes of the villainy that Batman first started with yeah, and the villainy we would have expected back when Batman was created back in 1939 
it's a very old kind of vision of an antagonist, but it's still something that's still quite strong. That's why they still make stories around gangsters and mobsters, even though the great gangster and mobster time is very much long since past. I don't know if about if any of our American viewers would know about the Cray Twins here in the UK. Mm. I'd say those were the last great gangsters yeah. around the world. Everything else has become sort of... I'm sure those elements still exist in the real world, but they don't have the prestige They're all billion-dollar multinational corporations. Now. Yes, those are the re- that's the real evil of today. That is the real evil of today. The evolution that the world with superheroes would move into, one with supervillains, means that these kinds of criminals just simply don't exist, and that makes the world more dangerous, and that's why figures like Batman are needed. Yeah, and this is like the precursor to the stories that we saw in legendary comics tales like The Long Halloween and Dark Victory, where you literally see the death of organised crime and the crime family and gangsters to be superseded by the supervillains of of Gotham City. And I think that this story is telling that just as well in a different way, using the 70s tales by people like Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers and Walt Simonson using Thorn and seeing his rise, seeing his power and seeing his evil, but still ultimately knowing that Gotham will belong to um, the super criminals, the costume criminals. And it's going to be an interesting viewing experience watching that happen slowly week by week because I do know it's coming. I do remember a lot more. As soon as Thorn appeared last week in the Two-Face story, I knew that his arc from the comics was used as part of the semi-ongoing narrative of, of this season. So I think you're going to enjoy watching that because you're going to see Thorn get to the top of his power and then see it all stripped away from him. It'll be an interesting thing to see. It'll be an interesting thing to follow, especially considering, like we said in the last episode, that it's Thorn that's the actual focus of this. Mm. It's the whole face of yeah. gang- of gangland warfare. No big mafiosas like your Falcones and Moronis yes. or Zucos. We see someone fairly mid-level, but still important in the comics, and we see his rise and fall to make way for people like your Jokers and your Riddlers. Mm. It's an interesting one, and I think it's done very well indeed. Like we said, we've had 12 episodes in, and honestly, we've only seen of the main Batman canon, Joker a few times, of course, Two-Face just once as Two-Face in the last two-parter. Um, we've seen Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, and Man Bat. Yes. And out of 12 episodes, that's like five major villains, which is incredible that we've had standalone episodes telling brilliant Batman stories um, with none of the mainstay supervillain characters. And actually, so like you said, sometimes not a lot of Batman, just a brilliant, engaging version of Batman. In the brilliant, engaging story where Batman helps direct the action and direct the events, mm. we got the redemption of someone in the criminal underworld the same way we got the return to innocence and the saviour of young children in the sewer, mm-hmm. the same way we got uh, a slave narrative, Yes, which is never something you'd expect in children's TV, Absolutely. but a slave narrative and one of redemption and peace among people who have been kidnapped and taken away, they're all still perfectly valid and very good Batman stories, but 
it's good to see that the character is so diverse that you yeah. can take the supervillains away and he's still Batman. And do you find, or I definitely, but do you find the same way I do that this series has aged really well? The quality of the animation is always so strong. It really is. You get the same consistency with the detail that you can just about recognise Bruce Wayne under the terrible fake ginger yeah, wigs. brilliant. And you can get some real and unexpectedly nice realism of a car going over a train level crossing and it slightly mm. bumps over yeah. the speed bump. And then you also get a real nod to the 60s. And I don't know if you noticed this, but mm. there was a scene transition when the gangsters were going from their homes and their bases to the restaurant for the meeting where there was a side-to-side bat-shaped screen wipe. I didn't spot You that. didn't spot that. It was the most charming thing. I oh, swear. I want to watch it again. Feel free. <laughs> it's worth looking out for. It's oh, fantastic. It's only once and it's right at the beginning, but yeah. it's like the wings and the ears yeah. just sw- swipes across the screen to change scenes. Adam West lives. Yeah, he does. He really, really does. Brilliant. And But it's not just like the, the stories, considering this is a show made 25 plus years ago, are also really relevant and fit today's society. I want to actually touch on... Episode 10, um, back, there, back there, part one of the Two-Face story, their emphasis on Bruce Wayne's words of there's nothing wrong with seeking a little bit of help for those yeah. who are mentally ill is just such a relevant thing for today. And this is not a topic that's very easily talked about. So it's for something in the early 90s to be that quote-unquote woke mm. about is really important. And I'm glad that that was a, a thing here. And then you get the heaviness of slave labor to drug abuse to madness to guilt it's all heavy stuff heavy stuff for children's tv but it fits perfectly and it's never done in a preachy way and it's never done in a way that bums you out yeah absolutely wonderful balancing act wonderful creative balancing act so takeaways then anything that really stood out from this episode either positive or negative I would say that it's so well handled of this directive team and this creative team on this show that they can still tell sincere Batman stories about Batman with Little Batman and show that Batman is himself as long as he is defending goodness, Mm. not necessarily punishing evil. Nurturing goodness even as defending. That's that was the t- takeaway of this story. It wasn't him being a deliverer of justice. It was him trying to redeem a soul, and that's truly not something I can remember seeing in any other media. Absolutely, myself though. Same kind of thing. A beautifully balanced, paced, brilliantly written and directed piece of TV, and I'm not even gonna go down the road of calling this a cartoon. This is an animated series which ranks up there with some of the finest TV drama I can recall. And the fact that they've got to fit it into a 20-minute slot rather than 45 minutes or an hour is testament to the storytellers that are behind this incredible show. And it's something I think we're all treated to because we get a very unique but very sincere vision of Batman week after week and... It's to the test of time because it's so strong. Yeah, it's not just Batman. It's Batman's world, Batman's universe, and a real living, breathing Gotham City. Wonderful. Exactly what we needed from a show like this. Yeah. 
totally, totally, totally. Well, I think um, that's all we can say about this little gem of an episode. So, um, as always, do let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of Batman the Animated Series as a whole. Keep talking to me online and face-to-face. And once again, thanks everyone for the lovely comments and feedback we're getting from this show. It really makes Adam and I proud know, to know that we're doing something and, and people are listening to it and getting something out of it. You can catch us every week on the DC Comics News Network alongside the original DC Comics News podcast. We've got a massive episode coming up very soon with Mark Guggenheim himself. Yes, I jest you not. The executive producer and one of the main men behind the Arrowverse shows is appearing very soon on the DC Comics News podcast. We also have the Spinner Rack, where my buddy Seth ranks the top five DC Comics every week, so you can have an idea of what to spend your hard-earned cash on. You can catch all those shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play, or wherever you usually find your podcasts. Please listen, rate, review, comment, and let us know what you'd like to hear from our shows. Adam, let the world know where we can see your work, my friend. I, as we've been talking about, I write and review many titles uh, going across many weeks of great comic media on DC Comics News and Dark Knight News. I just completed the run of reviews on Dark Knight News for the excellent season two of Titans. Uh, You can also find me most Tuesday nights on twitch.tv forward slash no ordinary heroes, streaming my one true love Dungeons and Dragons, and of course... Our one true love, our home and pride and joy, I write and edit on fantasticuniverses.com. You can follow me on Twitter at IzzetTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T, Tinkerer. And yourself, sir? As always, um, Batman fan number one, I'm editor-in-chief of Dark Knight News, uh, writer, reviewer and interviewer, both on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News. And you can get links to all that stuff simply by doing a Google search for Steve J. Ray. Yes, uh, Adam and I own and run Fantastic Universes in the UK. But of course, you can catch me most weeks on the DC Comics News podcast and every week here on this very show where we are the night, Adam Ray, Here's the night, and this has been the I Am The Night podcast. Thank you for listening, and until next time, read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye.